None of my business? How can cross-border activism work? Hello and welcome to Talking Progress. In today's episode, we will focus on the role of transnational activism and civil society cooperation across borders in creating a European public sphere. Women's and LGBTQI plus rights in Poland are under enormous pressure. Youth unemployment in Spain is around 30% and migrants in the EU border regions are living under inhumane conditions. These three cases are very different for sure, but they have one thing at least in common. They are not solely national matters, but of concern to us all Europeans. These cases scream for support not only by the responsible institutions, but also by citizens and organized civil society. Yet, they arguably receive too little cross-border help and attention. A recent study by Christian Lahusen and Maria Theis shows that citizens in the European Union are more often engaged in solidarity actions within their country and in support of people outside of Europe with only one out of four respondents committed to support other Europeans. Why is this? And what could be the role of transnational activism and cross-border civil society cooperation to increase solidarity with fellow Europeans? This is what we will try to find out in today's episode of Talking Progress. We will first take a closer look at one concrete case of transnational activism an organization that advocates for women's and LGBTQI plus rights in Poland, and then take a broader perspective on the political and social preconditions for successful cross-border civil society cooperation. Paulina Fröhlich, I am Head of Program Future of Democracy at Das Progressive Zentrum and I will be your host at Talking Progress today. In this podcast, we explore new ideas for social progress in Germany, Europe and across the Atlantic. We are kicking off Talking Progress with a mini-series on the European public sphere. In three episodes, we discuss new and concrete ideas that have the potential to bring Europe closer together. To start with, we are very happy to hear from Anna Krenz, who is currently initiating the International Council of Polish Women. Anna is an artist, editor and activist. She studied architecture and environment and sustainable design. Since 2001, she's been working as a freelance creative member of the Volker Center for Renewable Energy in Denmark. Anna is also the founder of the Berlin-based initiative, and Anna, please accept my apologies for poor pronunciation, Divuci Divorcium, which was founded in 2016, a civic movement that supports Polish women internationally and actively promotes women's or human rights in Poland. Welcome to Talking Progress, Anna. Hello, welcome everybody. Yeah, it's wonderful. I know the word Dziewuchy is difficult to pronounce. I know. The name of our initiative is actually Dziewuchy Berlin. And Dziewuchy means medals of Deutsch or gals or girls in English. Um, it is true. It is part of, a, it's a local branch of a Polish movement, which was um, founded in 2016. And there are many different groups of Dziewuchy in different countries, in different cities of Poland. Uh, and we cooperate together quite a lot. Um, I think it was quite crucial to build an international network of groups of activists already back then in 2016. Dziewuchy. <laughs> yes. 
Before you tell us more about your initiative, I would like to learn the sentence I am dziewuchy. How do I say I am in Polish? Jestem. Jestem dziewuchy. Mm -hmm, but you, good? Yes, but dziewuchy is plural, so you should say I am a dziewucha, which would sound in Polish jestem dziewuchą. Jestem dziewuchą. Perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. You. Anna, please tell us about your idea for strengthening cross-border activism in Europe. Well, there are a few ideas, and I must say, uh, all the thoughts I have come from my very tiny experience. I have started to be, well, started, I became an activist only four years ago, before I did some different things. So my experience is obviously not, not a long one, but I'm an analytical person, and I really think... Um, Being a migrant person, I'm a, I'm a migrant, I'm a Polish person living abroad in Berlin. Uh, so obviously it's not the most easy situation for us, for people like me, because we are kind of, um, how can I say, we hang in between. We are still foreigners in a foreign country, but and we love our homeland, of course, but we are not there anymore so that's why being honest to ourselves we always ask ourselves okay we are polish citizens in berlin we are european citizens living in whatever country we are what can we do from this point let's not pretend to be somebody else let's be who we are that's why when the when uh berlin when i opened the facebook group four years ago and that's how it started It was, um, the question was, what can we do from abroad? And the first idea was, okay, we could, we could talk about the situation in Poland, uh, in Berlin. So we became kind of a, a loudspeaker. That's a very simple role. Okay. We talk in Berlin about what happens in Poland. We try to do it, of course, the, the, the other way around. Um, But we also have a freedom, kind of a freedom in Berlin, because we will not be punished for our activities as, as people in Poland are at the moment. So we can allow ourselves to do a little bit more because we can. We live in a free city. Berlin is a city where you have demonstrations every day, even in a Corona times. Well, maybe less. So we have a really a clear plan of what we do. We do actions in solidarity with Poland. Uh, we are the voice. And we build a, a network of organizations we, which can cooperate with Polish organizations, but also abroad. It's, I think it's very important to, to, to realize that we live in Germany and it's not all perfect. And whatever problems are in Germany, we can maybe try to fix them together cross-border, beyond borders. And that's why the, our group, Dziewuchy Berlin, we, uh, we cooperate with different national or German groups in Berlin, in different countries as well. But also we are close in a, in a network called FKURV. It's a coalition of many organizations in Poland. I think we are over 100. And that's where we also have a close contact. And I think you told me beforehand um, about the International Council of Polish Women you are intending to. Can, yes. you, can you give us a little bit more insight about that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, as a Polish person abroad, uh, of course, in Germany, there are many councils. 
Polish councils, Polish diaspora councils, obviously. Many of them are founded, well, let's say some years ago, and uh, people who run them, who control them, who are active there are people of maybe a different generation or maybe of a different lifestyle. And it's usually men um, of certain age, let's me put it this way and many of my friends would feel well we are not represented by these organizations some of them are even too traditional they go in too much into catholic um, values which do not really speak to us or they do not represent us but then that's that's it in germany that's why i thought okay well who could be our voice our and by our i mean polish women abroad And then I thought, well, if there's nothing, so let's just make something. You see, my boss in Denmark, Preb Megot, he is a serious man. He is a pioneer of wind energy in Denmark. Uh, I could talk about this for hours, but I won't. I'm just, I would like to say what he told me once. He said, listen, I know it's great that you protest against something. But on the other hand, just offer an alternative. If something's missing, just do it. And that's what they did in Denmark, for example, in the energy crisis in 74. They got um, cut off from oil from Saudi Arabia. They didn't have coal. They didn't want to have atomic power. So they just found an alternative. And he was one of these people who founded the Danish model for wind turbine, wind turbines that we know today. So I took his words to my heart and I thought, well, yeah, why not? And I'm an artist. I, I do create. That's my job in life to create things. And then I thought, well, if there is no council that can represent us, let's just make one. And we had some uh, meetings online with different Polish feminists living in different countries. And I just dropped that idea. And they said, well, yeah, why not? Let's just do it. And we've been working on this on the International Council of Polish Women. We've been working on this since two months, maybe. And we go forward with this. I hope we will announce it still in February. Well, officially, but maybe we'll see if on the 8th of March or before in, Gen- in in February. But we already have a logo. We start with a website. We just do it collectively together beyond borders. We have women from many, many different countries and it's collective work. And the idea for this was not only to have a body that would represent us, but we want to have a voice because really nobody cares about migrants about the Polish diaspora who do we belong to well we don't belong so let's just make our own space let's make our own community let's have a voice uh why not and uh I think something like this was missing and because there are many different women's councils there is one in Germany for German speaking people there's one in Poland maybe in different cities but we Polish migrants we don't have a voice so that's why I hope we will uh, we will go on with the work and um, we will be working. We have three goals at the moment. One of them is to fight, well, not fight, but just to take care, not just, but, just, but to take care about our issues, Polish women abroad and our rights. It could be, I don't know, working rights, all different issues, but we would like to take care of our selves not personally but ourselves second goal is to cooperate with poland and fight for women's rights in poland and uh, we also want to well innovation it's maybe a wrong word 
it's not really the right one. But I noticed recently that, well, it's nothing new as well, that feminism, it's another wave that we observe. I, we call it uh, a hashtag feminism wave, maybe, which started in 2016, which is very much based on internet and social media. But the discourse of feminism, well, feminist discourse is changing. It's lively. Now there, there are discussions about femi um, feminine words or gender gendersternchen in, in Germany. So it's quite similar, Poland, Germany and different countries. So it's very lively. How can we contribute to this? How can we find a space where we all, even though we are different, because all these women, Polish women abroad or, or in general, we are different. We are different age, different education, different views on feminism. But we still, I really still want to find a space open for everybody, for every person, not just, you know, I don't know, it shouldn't be just uh, radical left wing or middle or whatever. I want to find a way how to include different women. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are working in this direction at the moment. I love this spirit and this idea. I would like to ask you a follow-up question, Anna, before we bring in our second guest. Because yes. you strengthened this aspect of being open, integrative, coalition building. Did other international alliances that have proven successful serve as an inspiration or even as a blueprint for your initiative? At the moment, um, uh, to be honest, Difficult question. Mm. No, not really. The thing is, we as Jewuche, we are part of different coalitions, also some coalitions, feminist coalitions in Berlin. And we see how different people are, how different views on feminism these coalitions have. Um, and that's very right. Every coalition have, can have an own line or profile. But... We, the Polish women, we cannot be very... Um, I think we cannot really allow ourselves to have a very strict profile because we, because we have to have a coalition of different people, men, women, uh, because we are too little and we are open to different voices. I can have a demonstration, which we had already before. We had the demonstrations where we asked, for example, women from Turkey and women from uh, Kurdistan to have the same stage. Mm. I think it's time for us, of course, to have a profile, to have ideas, but at certain moments of life, like for <laughs> 8th of March, we should stand together. But I would like to practice that openness also in Jivuchy, We are of different age. We are of different opinions on many things. I don't have to agree with my fellow girls or boys, uh, men, sorry, men and women, on some matters about European Union. We can have different views, mm. but still we have one goal, to fight for women's rights, for human rights, for LGBTQI rights. That's our goal, but we might ha may have different ways to do it. And that's fine. This is enriching. I think it's better to have a broader coalition, mm. but... That's about Jewuche Berlin and that's about the International Council of Women because this is our reality. We are different and we have to take what we have and find a place for everybody. Mm. A European face who's fighting for exactly that goal is our second guest who would like to bring in now and who uh, helps us to shed some light on the political side of this. Because one factor in determining the success of European civil society cooperation is, of course, the political 
framework and the political climate in which you and so many other initiatives operate in. I'm very happy to welcome Terry Reinke to our conversation. Hi. Hi, Terry. Terry Reinke is a politician and has been serving as member of the European Parliament since 2014, where she is one of the seven vice presidents of the Greens European Free Alliance Group. She is also member and coordinator of the Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Home Affairs. And since 2018, she has been the co-president of the LGBTI intergroup of the European Parliament. Welcome to, to Talking Progress, Terry, and we're really happy to have you joining our interesting debate. My pleasure. So the first question I would like to direct to you is, so women's and LGBTQI plus rights are obviously under attack in Poland. In the short run, what concrete actions can the European Parliament take to support efforts of Anna, for example, and so many others? Well, I think in the European Parliament, when it comes to uh, fundamental rights like women's rights, LGBTI rights, we have always tried to take a, a, a diverse approach, I would call it. So on the one hand, obviously using all the parliamentary tools that we have. So, you know, putting forward resolutions, integrating these kind of questions into legislation. This is our core business, so to say, and this is obviously what we do. But I think that we have also been trying to go beyond that and to have a little bit of a broader uh, understanding of what it means to be an elected representative of EU citizens and indeed also trying to create more of a European discussion forum inside of the European Parliament. So one of the things, and I believe that this might be uh, one of the occasions where Anna and me actually met, that we have done with Polish activists now already multiple times was to invite them to the European Parliament to organize plenary debates where we bring up exactly these topics that are uh, in the streets that, you know, really um, create uh, controversial discussions inside of Europe and to show that there is a common European space to discuss this and this cross-border solidarity inside of the European Union is very much needed. But I think beyond this um, creating awareness and creating debate space, and we have also tried to very directly interact with activists on the ground, because obviously as parliamentarians, we also have possibility to provide information, to support organizations, to, you know, help them also present the issues that, that matter to them. And this, I think, has certainly been true for the European Parliament um, when it comes to women's rights, LGBTI rights in Poland, but also in a lot of other um, member states of the European Union. And I believe that we continue um, to to approach this um, these issues in this more di diverse way, because I think being a parliamentarian is about much more than voting on actual laws and resolutions inside of a parliament. Definitely, definitely. Thank you um, for shedding the spotlight on this. I would like to ask you also the counterpart of the question. So where are the limits of the EP in supporting women's rights in Poland today? And maybe also what do you expect from the other EU institutions? Well, I think the limits of what we can do are very visible every day because the European Parliament would want um, the European Commission to do much more in order to protect fundamental rights of EU citizens. And I'm not getting tired to repeat this over and over again because Polish citizens are EU citizens. So it's not only, you know, nice to have that the Commission does something about the situation, but it's actually their duty um, because the protection of EU citizens' fundamental rights is um, certainly 
within the scope of what the commission should care about. And I think what we have been trying over the past years is to put more pressure on the commission so that they, for example, start infringement procedures against these um, so-called LGBTI ideology-free zones in Poland, for example, but also to show, to show more support um, to the women's rights movements now vis-a-vis -vis, um, this um, even more restrictive, actually de facto ban um, on abortion um, in Poland. And we could clearly see that in the executive power, it is still very much um, the European Commission that can act. Um, and over the past month, we are trying to, to put more and more pressure. And we hope that this eventually will have uh, positive outcomes and we will see a more active commission also when it comes to Poland. But if I can say one last thing, obviously it is on the commission and the parliament to do something. But I would also like to remind that the council has a role to play here and that other member states should care for what is happening in countries like, for example, Poland, but also Hungary, where you have authoritarian governments that are basically trying to restrict not only fundamental rights, but rule of law and democracy. And I think they should better wake up because what we have seen in the past years is maybe also a spillover effect. So this has been spreading from one or two member states to more and more. And I think that right now we are at a stage where this could really be a threat to the whole European project. So I would like to see the Council also to take more action. And uh, you said that um, in the political sphere, pressure can and must be created, obviously also in the public sphere, um, Anna, you said that one of your objectives is that actually to unite voices and to create awareness in this wider public. So the project we've been doing, Daring New Spaces, was all about developing a European public sphere. Where do you hope to find such thing as the European public sphere right now? It's quite difficult to talk about a European public sphere because it's... Um, divided we you we all almost all of us we use social media and social media at the moment it is a bubble it is an algorithm i think that sometimes we live in a not a fake world but we live in a bubble so and that really um fills half of our reality half of our lives and of course we do have media which we read we watch uh But there might be problems with the media because, the, like in countries like Poland, if you have national state TV and media which have been nationalized, I call it, they are not public anymore, they are nationalist, nationalist, <clears throat> where you just watch and listen and hear just a propaganda that builds also a different reality, different, different world. So we definitely need um tools and means to have a more objective public space we have to be aware of limitations of problems and of um well each medium works in a different way we have to know where where can the propaganda come in and be aware of it see it learn how to see the propaganda or fake news That's why I think it's quite important, especially for Europe, because different countries are getting, um, well, like Poland or Hungary, or sometimes you see that brown wave in Italy, France. It's the, the brown wave, we can see it. Uh, we should try to stop it because it's getting worse and worse. That's why we need independent media. How to do it? Well, that's not the question to me, but... Um, 
Well, but um, if you listen to activists, we do share information as well. We don't have the money or possibilities to run our own media, but um, but we all have to be careful and we have to look a little bit wider. Also, what Tere just said about the European um, organizations in Brussels and the, well, the brown wave is getting there as well. And for example, there's this organization called Ordo Juris, which comes from Brazil somewhere, and it's quite radical. And they propose a European agenda, agenda uh, based on Christian values. Even there, even in European Parliament, you can find um, dangerous, dangerous moments. That's why we need more pluralism. We need more freedom and democratic media to which um, which can tell about um, not just one party view. And I see it, for example, to be honest, I'm quite unhappy. Whenever I go to Poland, well, I used to visit my parents, but they are not there anymore. But whenever I go to Poland, to my home, and I watch TV for five minutes, and I watch the national TV, Polish TV, it, I cannot believe it's real. I cannot believe how well they do this propaganda, how horrible it is, how dangerous this is. And I think that even if I watch, well, if I watch that TV for maybe 20 hours, I would might start loving peace. I don't know, but it's really dangerously well done, unfortunately. That's why we need to support independent and different media, not just a state one. Mm, very true. In one of our episodes of this podcast, we've been talking about um, the media side of European public sphere, actually, and of cross-border journalism. But what you just said, Anna and Terry, also you before, reminded me of the um, of the fact that the engagement is always two-sided, at least, right? There's the engagement against what you called the brown wave, Anna, and there's the engagement which offers solution and which is for something, like in the anecdote uh, you shared with your former boss from Denmark, Anna. And I would like to look at these solutions or infrastructure options we could, um, yeah, we could work for. So, Terry, everyone who has been dealing with the topic of strengthening European society knows about the potential and the constraints of ideas such as implementing a European statue for associations or funding civic society actors directly. Are these the best options we have or do you see other approaches to empower cross-border uh, civil society cooperation? Well, I definitely think that there are two good proposals. Um, obviously, they are not going to be able to solve all the issues, all the challenges that we see right now um, in Europe. Um, but I think if we look at the situation as it is and the limits that a lot of civil society organizations face, and I mean, obviously, um, Poland and Hungary are uh, probably the most notorious examples, but they're certainly not the only ones. Um, I think we need to look deeper into how the European Union can play a stronger role there. Um, and I mean, let, just let me give you one example. Um, I think that this um, recent case of um, uh, the, the court ruling towards Hungary, where basically um, civil society organizations that received EU funding um, had to uh, earmark that on their websites, that they're funded from um Uh, you know, from foreign uh, uh, inter interventions, um, that um, these kind of things, we can clearly see how much it is needed that we create a European common space where also civil society organizations can freely operate within um, this space together. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that there, obviously, having a common legal framework for that would make a lot of sense. Um, I still remember that if you want to 
register here in Brussels as an international organization, you need a signature from the Belgian king, which always felt to me as being <laughs> a little bit, uh, you know, absurd. Um, but uh, I think this shows very clearly that that we should need something like this. But I would add to that, um, and I think you have um, uh, alluded to that as well, Paulina. I mean, even if we have a legal framework, what is missing when you really look at um, the, the situation of activists on the ground is very often also proper funding, something that they can rely on that is easily administratable. Um, and they are uh, now with the Rights and Values program um, that we are going to um, uh, implement now for the first time in the next funding period. I think we have a starting point, um, which is probably not going to um, fill all the gaps that we have uh, in terms of funding for civil society organizations, for independent journalism, for activists. But it is something um, from where I think we can go. Um, and I mean, if you look at what governments like, for example, in Poland and Hungary did as one of their first measures, it was to cut funding for feminist and queer organizations. Mm -hmm. So um, to fill this gap and to counterbalance these kind of developments, I think the European Union is needed. And I hope um, that this program can be a first step there. Right. I feel like, and I'm, I'm curious to hear if you, if you have the same um, feeling or observation, I feel like we can observe quite a number of initiatives demanding for more visibility, say, and participation within the last years, and it is motivating. On the other hand, it makes me think whether we should invest more of our energy in coalition building, as Anna said earlier. So how can we build strong civil society alliances and what role does intersectionality play in this, practically speaking? The question goes to two of you, please. <laughs> Shall I go first? Okay. Yeah. Um, no, I think that is absolutely crucial. And I think when we look at, I mean, uh, Anna, I think used this term hashtag feminism or hashtag activism in the beginning. I think when we look at um, where there were actually struggles where we were able to build very powerful movements, it was very often due to the fact that it was beyond just, you know, one certain group of people that were directly affected by it, but that it worked already very much with this coalition building. And I mean, the two issues that we have related to um, are women's rights and LGBTI rights. And I think also very like traditionally, there is a strong uh, interplay between these two issues. But I would go beyond that. I mean, when we look at the anti-racist struggles, um, when we look at um, struggles of people with disabilities, um, when we look at um, a lot of also um, social issues. Um, I think there is a lot of possibility of building coalitions. And I think that there, and maybe I'm going to say some, something controversial right now, but I think they're like the obvious choices. So, you know, LGBTI organizations and women's rights organizations working together, which maybe we have already done for a very long period of time, even though now there are also people who try to uh, drive a wedge between um, these two movements. Mm -hmm. But I think that there may be also less obvious co possible coalitions. Like one of the things that we could see, for example, in Germany, and I think also across the board, when we talked about um, refugee rights and, you know, creating shelter and a safe haven for refugees inside of Europe, a lot of progressive organizations cooperated quite closely with church groups. And I think that this is something that we have to look deeper into. Also, when we talk about issues where the church has historically not played a progressive role, like, for example, feminist issues, LGBTI rights, mm -hmm. I believe that we have to try to see who are the actors within, for example, churches who we can um, talk to, who we can potentially cooperate with, um, because I think that there is a possibility also for coalition building there. 
Yeah, a brilliant other example could be maybe the Fridays for Future movement and the labor unions who've been um, sitting at one table right from the beginning and not accusing each other, um, but trying to find bonds, actually. Anna, do you have a thought on, on this you would like to share? Yes, um, I think the broad perspective, international, uh, intersectional perspective is needed because we, not only we live in a complex world, but uh, due to global markets and capitalism, and this is what we have, uh, the world is complex. So things are not, uh, the problems are not just, I don't know, lonely islands, no splendid isolation. We are all part of one complex organism. So that's why it's important to build bridges and cooperations between sometimes even strangely looking, not fitting partners. Uh, but we should talk to each other. Like, well, Terry's idea about churches, well, I'm Polish, I will not go too deep into this, but maybe just a little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> countries like Poland. Uh, yes, uh, Polish government signed a, a contract with Vatican uh, Concordat a long time ago, and it's too political. These two bodies, these two... Um, things like the church and the state, they should be, they should not be together. They should be disconnected. Um, but that's, many people say that, but it's not really happening, unfortunately. But we just need to remember it's, um, there are two different things. But on the other hand, historically, uh, the church, the Vatican and the state, whatever state we've had in Europe, different states, it has always been the fight. Who has the biggest tower? in the Middle Ages, yeah, the, the, the castle or the church. So it's nothing new, really. And looking at history, we know we, we are nothing new. We have problems which have been there before. And we may try to see how people dealt with them before and use some of the good solutions, good practice today. But also, um, I think that what could help is to see things, uh, well, like an urban planner, see it wildly, but also see them as an architect, which means in a very big detail. Uh, because let's say, I can, I can speak about activists as well. And I know that being an activist, it demands a lot of work, money, time. It's at the cost of our private lives and health and uh, children, not to mention homeschooling and everything. Mm, but act, Activism, it's such a special, strange kind of passion, activity, mission. We don't get any gratitude. Um, like in a real company, you would get money for your work. In activism, you don't. <laughs> so um, it's quite important that activists, uh, they get something out of it. Not In not terms, maybe money, yes. Well, why not? Why not? We all do work, which really normally in real life, in real jobs is paid for. Mm. But there has to be something. How can we feel satisfactions, especially that in so many countries, Poland or Germany, we fight for something and our protests not, protests not always bring the change we want. Sometimes the feeling of helplessness is so frustrating, mm. especially if I would say for Polish people, it is really true that we, we are feeling helpless. And this is so annoying. That's why I'm so happy when Terry, when you go out to the space and you have a voice and you say, well, Poland, we stand with you. We see you. We are with you. It's important because it shows, okay, we are not left alone. 
in the country without any help. It's like in the back of, back in the day in communism, you couldn't really fight with the system, with a party. People did it through art, through different actions, true. But today it's quite difficult. People protest against something. Uh, but it's so difficult to make a real change. Even opposing parties have a problem. They might say, oh, we don't like what peace is doing. But what tools do they have to change it? They, have, they don't have the majority in the parliament. So what can you do? These are very difficult questions. And sometimes we all feel helpless. Mm, that's why it's so important, Terry, what you do. You give a voice, you smile, you turn to people and say, yes, we are with you. We see you. We see our struggles. And we go through it, through this thing together. I think it's really, really important. And thank you for this. It's so, so important in these crazy, complex days. Um, yeah. Well, I can only give that back. No, it's really important, I think. I would like to second that as a free-time activist, everything you said, Anna. Um, I have a closing question for the two of you, which is making, like, let, let's try to make a cut here. And I would like to ask you, let's say the council you are founding within the next weeks, Anna, still exists in 15 years from now. What do you hope it will be dealing with? If the counts, the International Council of Polish Women still exists in 15 years, I would love that the council would deal only with beautiful things, <laughs> that it would not have to write letters or petitions or deal with problems and be against something, but we would create reality, uh, create things, do good things. And I hope that in 15 years there will be much more women on the power and we would have beautiful and wise and cool, well, partners in governments like women on uh, high positions. And then everything would be kind of much more interesting, creative, better softer or pe more peaceful that's the dream sounds great Terry do you want to add something well I think I can only support the feeling <laughs> um, I'm so much looking forward to actually being in a position um, uh, to you know do like talk much more I mean we do it but I think to me not uh, to an extent that I would like to see about um, a positive vision of um, where we want to live, how we want our societies to be shaped, you know, to speak about um, legislative proposals, um, but also maybe a little bit more abstract um, that we would like to see um, become reality. Um, because I have the feeling that, you know, I have been a member of the European Parliament now for six years and a large part of my energy, yes, it has gone into fighting back attacks on women's rights, on LGBTI rights, on rule of law. Mm. Um, and where I would like to be in 15 years, I can only really support what Anna has been saying, that we live in a world where there is this progressive wave rolling again, that we can you know, see that these citizens' movements all across the EU, especially in countries like Poland, but they exist everywhere, that they have really changed the tune of how politics go, that we have transparent institutions that are trusted, um, and that we can really have this together positive vision of the future again that people come together create something together um, and uh, as Europeans that we build uh, a framework for Europe that is going to last for the next decades and hopefully centuries 
I would like to say hell yes, but I think I'll just do it. <laughs> yes. Well, there are a hundred of more questions and also thoughts on my mind, which I would like to share with you. But unfortunately, we will not have the time to do this today. However, for those of you, dear listeners, who would like to learn more about cross-border activism and civil society cooperation in Europe, we have prepared recommendations. Every Talking Progress episode brings to you our top three recommendations for further readings, other podcasts, videos or projects that will help you to delve deeper into the project. So if you don't mind, I will start and then hand over to the two of you. I would like to recommend a special episode on activism on the podcast The Guilty Feminist. For those of you who don't know it, The Guilty Feminist is a podcast in which the two brilliant comedians, Deborah Franz White, Frances White and Sarah Pascoe, um, and I quote, explore the noble goals of the 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them, end of quote. I think they always give a very funny, but at the same time, extremely serious and profound take on current social issues from a feminist perspective. And so this special episode does it too on activism featuring the activist and writer Agata Chartnatska and columnist and political advisor Aish Hazarika and the novelist and dramatist AJ Close. Give it a listen. You can find the link in the show notes. Terry, what is your recommendation? My recommendation actually relates to Poland as well. And I, I think that, uh, Anna, you probably know this project. It is a project um, started by very brave activists to highlight um, the declaration of different cities and towns and now whole region, regions as so-called LGBTI ideology-free zones. And you might have heard about this. It's called Atlas of Hate. Um, and They are really trying to shed the light on something that um, I think for a very long time um, was not really seen by, by the international community inside of the European Union. They are under a lot of pressure now. They are facing legal charges because of this project. And I think that checking it out and potentially also supporting the activists that are behind this um, is definitely uh, worthwhile because in the end, it is all about the work of the people on the ground, the activists that are creating the space. Um, so I can only applaud their work and the many other people in Poland who stand up um, to the attacks on fundamental rights. Thank you, Terry. We will also put the link into our show notes. What do you want to recommend to our listeners, Anna? Okay, of course, there are so many things. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yes, but I, I can give you three little quick recommendations. Of course, I could talk longer. But um, I would recommend that you... I know I think this book is only in Polish. I'm not sure, but it's a book uh, by Klementyna Suchanow. It's called This is War. Well, To jest wojna in Polish. I don't know if there's an English or German translation, but there should be. And it's a book about, uh, of course, the, the, the feminist movement, but it also explained the danger and the network of um, different actors, different enemies we have at the moment, like Ordo Iuris, the church. So what are we fighting against? Uh, and it's really... A, heavy stuff but it's something that um, it's good to read because then you might see that danger that enemy quote uh, in in places where you thought everything is fine well it's not fine just so that we are aware mm -hmm. where are the things happening that's number one 
Mm, I would also recommend uh, one of my favorite writers is Margarete Stokowski. She's a feminist, Polish uh, roots. Um, she writes for the Spiegel. She wrote a book as well. It's somewhere here. But uh, Margarete, she has a very sharp brain and she is um, she is exactly the voice of the new generation of feminists. And it's uh, nice because she's a Polish woman living in uh, Germany. Uh, which is always nice to find that mix. Well, again, migrants, why not? Well, migrants. And I would also like to recommend you music by a young, young vocalist, female vocalist, Shiksa. She really makes a great job. I will probably send you a link. Uh, she she is the voice of, of the young people, and she has a strong voice, cool music, costumes, and she is political as well. Uh, but in a cool young way. I'm maybe a little bit older, but I still love her because I, she hits my heart so much. She goes also a little bit back to literature, classical Polish literature of Sturm und Drang periode. She mixes motives with cool music, cool visuals and art. And so I really do recommend her. Shiksa, she's so cool. It's unbelievable. And she's the voice because, uh, well, music and art, it's, the way people express their, themselves and uh, art is the conscience of humanity. So artists do have the right and a duty to speak about different and horrible and hard things. It's what we have to do. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is definitely the not only longest, but oh. also the most creative and diverse recommendation list we've had so far in the series. Terry Reinke, MEP, and Anna Krenz, artist and activist, thanks a lot for you two joining our second episode of Talking Progress. Thank you, everybody. Stay strong, stay safe, and think about the future, a good future for all of us. Thanks a lot. It was great talking to you, and uh, stay posted on what is happening in Europe. In our next episode, the co-founder of Veldus Unite, Susanne Zels, and Jana Puglerin, head of Berlin office at the European Council on Foreign Relations, will debate on European values and citizenship education. Thanks for listening, and we hope to welcome you back soon at Talking Progress. Bye-bye.